Hi, I'm Leisha Nelson, and you are listening to the Nurturing Resilience Podcast, where I weave together the worlds of somatics, science, and energetics to nurture a deeper connection to yourself. This is a podcast that covers a span of topics and ideas from guests storytelling rites of passage that catalyzed their resiliency, to nervous system and mind-body health education, to deep contemplation on topics such as cultivating connection to ourselves and others in a complex world. I can't wait to dive in to each episode with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Resilience. I am your host, Leisha Nelson, and I'm really happy to have you here today. Today, we're going to dive into cranial sacral therapy. What is it? How does it work? How did I get involved in this? And basically, how did this then lead to my somatic journey? So I realized the other day that I have shared my story about cranial sacral therapy, what it is, how it works on other podcasts when people interview me, but I've never actually shared on my own podcast. And as I was reflecting, I realized one of the questions I get asked the very most is, what is cranial sacral therapy? I often joke with people that I'm here to educate people about unknown things. I kind of feel like I'm a little bit ahead of my time And I'm often choosing to do things that people kind of know or have heard a little bit about, but aren't necessarily well known. For example, when I started to become an occupational therapist and go to occupational therapy school, people had no clue what that was. And I spend a lot of time explaining and educating people. And now it's a well-known career in the hospital. In fact, it's one of the most enjoyed careers in research. So go figure. (laughs) And about, well, 13 years ago, I discovered cranial sacral therapy and I took my first cranial sacral therapy course with the Upledger Institute. And again, at the time, no one knew what that was. I was just some crazy lady learning how to do some crazy therapy Fast forward 13 years, last weekend I TA'd for the Upledger Institute Cranial Sacral Therapy 1 course. There were 48 students and people are hungry for this knowledge. I get asked all the time, who can I see for cranial sacral therapy as if there is a shortage of cranial sacral therapists. And to be honest, There is a little bit of a shortage. I know I'm biased and I know I'm picky, but I do think it's really important to know how well-trained your cranial sacral therapist is. So this is what we're going to dive into today. My story, the history, how to find a good cranial sacral therapist. What is it that we're doing? (laughs) Is it quackery? Let's, Let's get into this. So as I mentioned, I took my first cranial sacral course 13 years ago. And it all started when I ended up on a table of an osteopath that would come to Park City and see clients. He lived in California. 
And at one point he was working on my diaphragm and doing some fascial restriction release and working with the mobility of my diaphragm. And he just kept looking at me going, are you okay? Are you all right? Are you sure you're okay? Are you sure you're okay? And I kept looking at him going, I'm fine. I hardly feel anything. Yes, you can go deeper. I'm fine. And he would say to me, man, you've got a lot of emotions in here. Are you okay? And I just kept repeating, I'm fine. Well, the next day I wasn't fine. The next day I was crying. I was emotional. I had crazy dreams all night. I did not want to go to work. I felt like my world had ended and been flipped upside down. And that lasted for about a week. I cried nonstop. My back was hurting and I just could not soothe my nervous system. So much so that my partner, my now husband, called the doctor and said, what did you do to my wife? What is happening? She's not okay. To which he responded, she's fine. She's doing some emotional releasing and I'll talk about it with her when she sees me at her session next week. So I go into session two and I'm like, what did you do? What happened? And he continued to tell me, I released a lot of emotions out of your diaphragm. I was totally stumped. Emotions in my diaphragm, that's not a thing. It doesn't happen. And he didn't really say that much about it other than a little bit of education that our body stores emotions And sometimes those emotions get really stuck, especially in the diaphragm, our center for breathing. And he released the restrictions in my diaphragm. After that session, my nervous system was much more regulated and an old ankle injury that I had had for years that wouldn't get better, got better. So I was really fascinated by that because he didn't actually even really work on my ankle. He worked a lot on my head. He worked a lot on my diaphragm, obviously. He barely touched my right foot. So I started to reflect upon my experience and what had happened. And I decided this was something that I needed to learn. It was kind of like so curious and it seemed so magical that an ankle injury could get better from a diaphragm release. It just didn't really make sense to me coming from an occupational therapy background. And mind you, I had just finished occupational therapy school. Here I was ready to be an occupational therapist, ready to dive into my work after three long years of graduate school. So I called him and said, okay, this thing you did to my diaphragm and my ankle getting better, how do I learn this? What do I need to do? Well, his response was that I needed to go to osteopathic school because he was an osteopath and that was his way in. And I thought, oh, hell no. I just finished three long years of graduate school. There is no way I'm going back to medical school to be a doctor. I thought he had lost his mind. So I started to do my own research and I fell upon something called the Upledger Institute. Now the Upledger Institute was started by an osteopathic doctor. His name was, he has since passed, John Upledger. Now John Upledger had his osteopathic training. He went on to do a lot of research at Michigan State University where he actually studied craniosacral therapy. 
He opened a clinic in Florida years later where people could go and receive cranial sacral therapy. And he decided, why do you have to go to medical school to learn these techniques? This information needs to be out there because it really is healing. So he started an educational program or a training institution called the Upledger Institute. And I found them on a Google search and I started doing some more research. And of course, what did I find? Cranial sacral therapy is quackery. Cranial sacral therapy is crazy. Cranial sacral therapy is not research-based. That's the information that you find. I don't know about any more, but when I Googled it, that's what popped up. So I was a little stunted for a while. I didn't know with my medical background and my training if I wanted to be involved in something that was considered quackery or crazy. But I decided to pursue and I took my first cranial sacral class. Now, let's talk about <laughs> what is cranial sacral therapy because it will make more sense, my experience, once I explain what is it? What is happening? What are the mechanisms? Why does your ankle get better when you do a diaphragm release? So, the body is surrounded in what's called cerebral spinal fluid. Cerebral spinal fluid is what goes around your brain and your spinal cord. And it's a liquid, it's a cushion, it creates a cushioning for the body. And the cerebral spinal fluid, the theory goes, has a pulse rate. Now, I want to say when Dr. Upledger did this research and created this theory, this was in the early 90s, I believe, maybe even in the 80s. And we are now, many years later, 2023, we have different mechanisms to which we can see inside the brain, how the brain works, measuring tools. And some of his theory and how this works might be changing. It doesn't mean that it's not happening. It doesn't mean that there isn't cerebral spinal fluid and that we as cranial sacral therapists actually feel it. It just means how it works and the dynamics might be changing. And if that's the case, I'll continue to update my listeners and my website and people as I educate them on cranial sacral therapy. So back to cerebral spinal fluid. That's the liquid. That's what is around your brain and spinal cord. And it has a pulse rate. And just how you have a breath rate and a heart rate, and you can feel those, Cranial sacral therapists are designed or trained to feel the rise and the fall of the pulse rate. There are some different schools of thought as well. If you study with uh, Hugh Milne and the biodynamic background of cranial sacral therapy, they train three different pulse rates, a low, medium, and long tide. Dr. Upledger chose to only focus on one singular pulse rate, which is the middle tide for the biodynamic approach. And with this feeling of the pulse rate, Dr. Upledger or the Upledger Institute basically has three, or excuse me, four core principles. Basically, number one, treat the body as a unit. What happens a lot of time in the medical field and with the medical industry is that it's very segmented and very separated. 
as a cranial sacral therapist, I really look at the body as a unit. And that's why (laughs) my ankle got better with a diaphragm release because it's all connected. And I'd like to expand that even further to the concept of mind, body, spirit, that what we do to the body also affects what's happening on an energetic or a spiritual level or a somatic level. You cannot separate mind, body, spirit. So also as a cranial sacral therapist, when I'm working with clients, especially when I'm working with babies, even though I'm touching the body and treating the body, I'm also really paying attention to what's happening at a spirit or soul level. Second core concept, structure and function are interrelated. This came really natural to me because this is also a concept in occupational therapy that your structure, how your body physically is, is going to directly relate your function. So if you have a back injury and the structure has been altered, your ability to function and bend over or go skiing is going to be affected. And you really need to look at both structure and function. Core concept number three, the body is self-healing. Now this could be a whole podcast on its own because I think when people hear this, they think, well, yeah, that injury that I've had hasn't ever gotten better. Or perhaps it's like, well, then why am I still aging? This isn't to say (laughs) that we are forever healed and will never age. We still have life. We're still humans. But when you do think about your body, if you think about breaking your arm or sustaining a cut, you don't tell your body to go mend itself. It just does it on its own. It happens in its own time. And that's an amazing thing for healing. Now, when it comes down to longer term injuries, I know, for example, with my back injury, my body can self-heal. However, there are certain things that I need to put into place so that my body has what it needs to self-heal. If my nervous system is completely dysregulated, I'm going to have a really hard time healing my body because my body is going to go towards that nervous system survival first. So our bodies always think, Survival first, survival first. Healing comes later. The body can self-heal when we have the things that we need and we're not in a state of survival or complete dysregulation. So with many people, their healing journey includes making some really big lifestyle changes so that they can get out of survival and move into a place of self-healing. Number four, core concepts, movement is health while stasis is disease. So a lot of what we do and a lot of what we look for is movement. Stasis, and I don't remember the exact definition, so sorry if I have this wrong, but I'm pretty sure stasis literally means dis-ease, disease. When we're on lockdown, when we don't have movement, 
that creates disease and that can happen on all levels, blood, lymph, tissue, bone, immune system, mitochondria, movement is health. So I learned these four core concepts when I walked into the cranial sacral room and it all made sense to me that I was like, yeah, okay, I, I can hang on. I can believe that with that we started to learn how to treat the body as the unit. We started to learn how to look at structure, but how to look at structure from a fascial perspective, which is the connective tissue and the goo that surrounds all your muscles and all of your organs. And we started to really look at what's going on with the cerebral spinal fluid. What is the pulse rate of your cerebral spinal fluid in your brain, in your spine? Is it causing any restrictions? If there's a restriction, is that changing your structure or your function? And fast forward, it's a four-day program. The end of day three, I thought everyone was crazy. The theory made sense to me. The concepts made sense to me. But I couldn't feel the pulse rate. I was the only occupational therapist in the room. I think everyone else was a massage therapist. They were very used to feeling bodies, feeling tissue, feeling these lighter components of the body. I came from a very heavy handed background where I do things to people. I manipulate muscles and I move people around. I didn't have the intuitive sense or that light touch that craniosacral requires because in order to feel these lighter rhythms and tune into the body with our hands, one of the foundational concepts is you use light touch, five grams. We learned to start with five grams, which is the weight of a nickel. So I thought everyone was crazy. I was ready to give up. And happenstance, that night I had dinner with a good friend who had been studying cranial sacral for about a year or two. And I was, she was also an occupational therapist. And I was telling her, this is crazy. I don't understand. I'm not feeling a pulse rate. And she helped me. She spent about an hour with me practicing, touching her spine, different points on her legs, different points on her head until I ever so slightly, ever so slightly started to feel these movements. So I left class and I started to practice. I would work on anyone that would let me touch them, literally. (laughs) And I started to use it with clients that I worked on in the inpatient neuro rehab floor. I say I had a client with a spinal cord injury. I would gently work on his spine, different parts of his head. If I had someone with a brain injury, same thing. And some interesting things started to happen. They started to say things to me like, wow, Alicia, this is the best I felt since my accident. Or, oh my gosh, that pain I've been having is gone. Like, what are you doing? Because you're barely touching me. And so I decided to further pursue my career in cranial sacral therapy. And I took the next level course, which we go into the mouth work and we talk all about the structures of the mouth and the throat. 
I went on to the third class, which where you learn about somatic emotional release. And we start to learn how the body is connected and how the body stores trauma. And that when we work on certain structures and we treat the body as a unit, with that can come an emotional release. So I really continued my journey, but it wasn't until I transferred to the pediatric hospital locally and decided to start working in pediatrics. My manager asked me to go receive the pediatric trainings and the newborn trainings so that I could have on file, I'm credentialed, I'm good to go to touch babies, I've had the training. And as soon as I learned how to work on infants and babies, a couple lactation consultants in the area reached out to me and started sending me clients. Now at the time I had started my own practice, I worked at the hospital, I think three or four days a week. And I saw maybe one or two clients a week on the side in my little cute space. And I was learning and I was practicing. Well, as soon as I got the pediatric training, my business exploded overnight, I'll say. I went from seeing one to two clients a week to 10. I had to drop a day at the hospital because I was so overwhelmed. And I just continued to have more and more clients, people wanting cranial sacral therapy, specifically for their babies having breastfeeding issues. Some of that was because I was being referred to by a lactation consultant. The other part of that is how beneficial cranial sacral is to babies with breastfeeding issues, which we can get into later. So I was overwhelmed. I was completely overwhelmed. And when I was at my cranial sacral therapy practice, I was thinking about my occupational therapy work and what I needed to do there. And when I was at occupational therapy, when I was working in the hospital, I was thinking about my private practice and I never had a down day. And so I decided to stop my work as a traditional occupational therapist. I turned in my notice to the hospital and it was way sooner than I thought I would ever stop being an occupational therapist in a traditional manner. I thought I was gonna do that for the rest of my life. But I knew that I couldn't maintain both practices and I knew that my long-term goal was to run my own business. And so I trusted, I trusted the timing I trusted the clients coming into my office that were acting as my teachers and I went for it and have since gone in and out of different cranial sacral practices in my business and different ways of running my practices and different ways of doing things. But since then I've been full-time cranial sacral therapy. Now, as all this was happening, I think even before I started training at the hospital, I would have clients come in, the one or two that would see me a week that were adults, and we'd be working on their body, and all of a sudden, they would start crying. They'd be having an emotional release. And I knew that it was an emotional release. I had learned enough that when we get into certain tissues or when we get into certain releases, the stored emotions that are stored in the body were releasing. But I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to manage people crying on my table. I didn't know the next steps. I didn't really understand what was happening. 
And so I decided to mentor with one of the teachers from the Appledger Institute that specialized in somatic processing. She worked very closely with Peter Levine and his somatic experiencing program. She had been studying Buddhism and Zen meditation for years. And I spent a lot of time learning from her. I went to every class of hers that I could, whether that meant I was taking a class or I was supporting a class. I spent a week with her in her home, in her clinic. I did online mentoring calls because she was not in the same city. And she really, really helped me start to understand and opened up the doorway for me for somatic trauma resolution. This was the beginning. I started to see the connection as to why someone might have an emotional release if you release their diaphragm. And so a lot of times when we talk about what is cranial sacral therapy, it's much more nuanced than what a lot of people say. Because yes, there is this physical component. We are working with the cerebral spinal fluid. We are working with the tissues and the fascia. We are looking at structure and function. We're supporting the nervous system to be self-healing. And when you work with the body on the physical level, on the physical components, you also start to tap into different emotions. And emotions are stored in the body. And it happens through implicit memory. I have talked about this a lot. Go back to my podcast where I'm sharing on what is somatic trauma resolution. I talk about this a lot. I believe I also talk about this in my polyvagal podcast episode. I talk about this a lot on my Instagram pages. So... Our bodies store emotion through implicit memory. We don't know this is happening. You cannot separate mind and body. 80% of the information that goes to the brain is actually coming from the body. And if there is stress, if there is trauma, like I said earlier, our body goes into survival mode. The thing that we do is we survive. So all of those emotions that are happening during that time can't get processed and they can't get released. So what does our body do? Stores them in the body. Now where they're stored is going to be different for every person and every situation and every scenario is different. There is no one thing that is the same. That's actually why I hate that saying of like, oh, your hips are tight. That's where we store trauma. Yeah, maybe. And yes, with the whole concept of with the psoas, which is one of the hip muscles, and the jaw and that relationship, yeah, we might have a tendency to store trauma there, but there is no textbook. There is no like this equals this equals this when it comes to somatic body work. That's just how it goes. So as I started to study with this mentor, that is when I started doing a lot of reading and a lot of learning. I dove into anything I could get my hands on around Peter Levine And again, at the time, no one knew who Peter Levine was, who now I consider him the grandfather of somatics. And a lot of people are starting to know about his education program and the 
seen somatic experiencing practitioners at the time no one knew this I think his program literally got developed as I was learning these things and I just started to study trauma and I literally could took any training course I could and that's really how I got into cranial sacral therapy how I got into trauma-informed care how I got into somatics and I have continued since then to train in different somatic programs, different somatic trauma resolution programs, different cranial sacral courses, family constellations, yoga teacher training. I mean, you name it, if it involved trauma, I was like, let me take that training. That's really how I started to get into what I do now, offering different types of body work and different types of cranial sacral. So beyond the What is cranial sacral therapy in these core concepts? And yes, we feel the cerebral spinal fluid, but like what else? Why does this work with lactation? Why does this help with so many things, right? So another key concept to cranial sacral therapy that really sets this theory apart from other theories is that we believe the skull bones are not fused. Now, of course, when a baby is born, it has multiple skull bones. I can't tell you the exact number. I want to say it's around 30. And some of those bones fuse. They need to be unfused so that the baby can come out the vaginal canal. But there are primary bones that if you look at an adult skull, you have the bones and you have sutures. And we believe that these sutures are joints and that they're mobile. And because they're mobile, that means the skull bones, these primary bones that don't fuse, can get out of line and can get out of sync. And that can happen because of stress. That can happen because of fascia. That can happen because of a neck injury and it's affecting what's going on in the head. It can happen because you clench your jaw at night. It can happen because you get braces. So many reasons. So as cranial sacral therapists, we're really looking at the alignment of the skull bones, these major ones on the outside and some that we access through the mouth. We want to make sure that they're moving in sync, that they're not overriding each other, that they're moving structure and function, they're moving well. And more so, we think about what's underneath the skull bones. I like to think of the bones as handles to a drawer. And by pulling on the handle or pushing on the handle, you get to see what's inside the drawer. Another analogy to think about this is if you pull on the bottom of your shirt, like really, really pull on, say, the bottom right corner. I'm going to do this right now. It travels all the way up to my right side of the top of my shirt, it really affects the left side of my shirt and pulls that tight. If there is something out of alignment, whether it's a bone or tissue, but in this case, the bones, we're thinking about the impact that it's making underneath into other parts of the skull because of how interconnected we are. That's affecting the brain. Well, the brain is your nervous system. Within your brain, there is also a huge piece of fascia. 
that then creates what's called the foramen magnum, which is the opening of your skull bone where then it then reaches your cervical vertebrae. That fascia goes all the way down your spine into your tailbone. And if there's an impingement, a restriction, a pull, that can affect how your nervous system is working and how regulated you are. So we're working with the different skull bones, including the ones inside the mouth, to get into those deeper fascial structures of the brain. And by working with that, we're affecting the brain itself. Another thing to keep in mind is any occurrence that interferes with our membranes or the cranial sacral membrane's ability to move and to accommodate different fluid pressures is going to also change and affect all the other fluid pressures in the system. So we are a hydraulic system. If there are changes in the cerebral spinal fluid, it's going to affect what's going on in the lymph system. It's going to affect what's going on in the circulatory system and vice versa. Looking at the body as a unit, we're really paying attention to the whole system and how why working with the cerebral spinal fluid can then also affect what's going on with the other fluids and the other systems. And that is also why craniosacral therapy can address so many different issues. Now at this point in my career, I am solely focused on conception and pregnancy, newborns, postpartum, anything related to birth. But that doesn't mean that it's not great also for things like concussion, back pain, jaw pain. Um, If you're having issues with anxiety, if you're having issues with like say ear infections, I was using it to work with people that had spinal cord injury or people that had strokes, tight muscles, lots of stress, any nervous system dysregulation. Earlier I talked about lactation and babies and why this is so good. And babies are sentient beings, I say this all the time, they haven't had time to create compensation or stories around maybe some of their patterns and so babies when doing cranial sacral sacral with them release very easily they don't need a long time like an adult would in order for say a muscle to release and because we work with the weight of a nickel five grams and with babies sometimes lighter Watching cranial sacral therapy, as one of my teachers said, is like watching paint dry. It literally looks like we're doing nothing, especially when I treat a baby because I'm using such light touch and pressure. It might look that I'm just walking around the room with them or holding them. However, what's going on underneath the tissue is much more drastic and they are releasing. But this light weight and this light touch is really beneficial as they release these restrictions or fascia, if we're looking at structure and function, it's also regulating their nervous system. So many babies, after a session, 
will spend a couple hours sleeping because their nervous system is completely calm, regulated, and relaxed. And I know for me personally, when I get cranial sacral therapy work, I also sleep really well. I can just feel my whole rest and digest system. It gets a complete reset. So for babies, cranial sacral therapy is really good for colic, ear infection, those breastfeeding problems. If babies are very fussy or hard to soothe, those babies that are just so uncomfortable in their bodies, they're having digestion or elimination problems, reflux, difficulty latching, plagiocephaly, torticollis, favoring a breast over the other, not sleeping, teething, just kind of dysregulated and sensitive from a nerve from a sensory perspective definitely a difficult birth bone override and even as you know children get older or even babies still immune system issues like babies that are sick a lot and then as children get older children can hang on to these nervous system issues. If they haven't been addressed or haven't been healed, then we see this in children. And so really working with children into their central nervous system, their anxiety, immune system, also continued colic or ear infections. If they're having motory or sensory issues, headaches, pain, if they're having a difficult time relaxing, We can get into the adults, which is migraines and headaches, chronic neck and back pain. It can be great for ADHD and autism, orthopedic issues. I've already mentioned traumatic brain injury and spinal cord injury, scoliosis, cerebral palsy, TMJ, nervous system or immune disorders, PTSD, and post-surgery. So, I mean, really... (laughs) The list goes on and on and on. And for me, like I said, I started out unintentionally healing an ankle injury. My ankle was not healing, not getting better. But because my fascia and my tissue and my muscles and my whole nervous system is connected, when the osteopath worked with my diaphragm to release my diaphragm, my ankle got better. I know that some people still will call this crazy or quackery, but I can just go off my 13 years of practice. And I've really been focused on babies and newborns and trauma for about the last eight years. And I will say, I don't care if it's quackery at this point because my clients are getting better. My babies that I see are breastfeeding. They're having better attachment with mom. Their nervous systems are more regulated. Their plagiocephaly is going away. Their torticollis is changing. So the issues that moms are bringing babies to me for are shifting. One thing I'd like to name here is that these patterns and structures work together in families. Meaning, if baby has a restriction or a tightness, it's very, very likely that mom or dad or siblings also have a similar or the same tightness. They will have the same restrictions. For whatever reason, 
Well, I do know a reason because families are connected. They will move together in the same movement patterns, including the same restriction patterns. If you are a mother or father bringing your baby to cranial sacral therapy or you're interested in cranial sacral therapy, you yourself should also be getting a session because oftentimes baby will go back into the same restriction pattern and hold that restriction pattern until it's released or moved through on a family or familial level because of the interconnection. Now, especially if it's a birth trauma, if you are a mother or father that has experienced a birth trauma, regardless of what that birth trauma is, and I was on a podcast talking about this undereducated podcast, I'll share the link below. If you've had a birth trauma, you two or you three are a triad. You worked together. Baby came earthside with you as part of that picture. So yes, if your baby has a dysregulated nervous system, if your baby was delivered via a C-section birth, if your baby had to have forceps, if your baby had to have a NICU stay, yes, those are all great reasons to get cranial sacral therapy. And you yourself also experienced that. And healing and integration and alchemizing the trauma will happen when all parties are addressed. It's not just the baby. The baby is one piece of that, and it's really important that moms and dads receive the work as well. The last thing I will speak to is cranial sacral therapy is not considered a licensed therapy. Here in the state of Utah where I practice, you have to have a license to touch people. You can't just go around touching anyone you want. Other states have different laws and it's going to be dependent upon where you live. However, most states you need a license to touch and in all states, cranial sacral therapy does not give you that license to touch. It's not a regulated modality, meaning Anyone can call themselves a cranial sacral therapist. Anyone can say they're certified. Anyone can say that they work on babies. I stress this a lot in a lot of my work with different areas and the different things I do. Ask questions. Ask them where they got their training. Ask them how long they've trained. Ask them how long they've been doing this. Those are really, really important questions to know as you're choosing your practitioner. And of course, just like therapy, you have to find someone that resonates with you. If the person doesn't resonate with you, it's not a good fit and it's just not worth it. So when you're finding someone for you or your baby or your child, ask the appropriate questions and make sure you like them. Make sure it's a good fit and just please keep in mind Anyone can call themselves this. You can learn this in a day-long class in massage therapy school and call yourself a cranial sacral therapist. So please keep that in mind. Do your research. Choose the appropriate people. 
Again, I was trained by the Uplinter Institute. That's not the only cranial sacral therapy organization. There are others out there. However, you can go on their website, put in your zip code, and find a therapist near you. And definitely, as always, look for those that have the appropriate training. If you're looking to take your baby, make sure that they've had pediatric or newborn training. This was a pretty fast and quick explanation of cranial sacral therapy. If you would like more information, I'm happy for you to book a consultation call with me to see if we're a good fit or if you have any more questions. There is way more information on the internet these days than when I started 13 years ago. It's starting to be seen as a recognized practice, as something that really does make a difference. And I can't stress enough how much I've seen my clients heal or how much I've personally healed from cranial sacral therapy. So if you have more questions, reach out, let me know. I'll put my link to a consult down below so that Again, if you're like, I still don't get it, I still don't understand, or maybe it's just experiential. Maybe it's just a sign that if you have that curiosity, it's time to get a session and just experience it yourself. I saw a baby this week, and after I worked on baby for about 45 minutes and I felt like she was done, I invited mom to get on my table so that she could feel what was happening And as I put my head, my hands on her cranium, she kept saying, oh my gosh, I cannot believe how much I can feel this. I cannot believe how much is moving. She was definitely more in tune to feeling those things and had great interoception. But you can hear about these things all day and listen to this podcast 10 times and you still might not get it. You might just have to go get a session. But feel free to reach out. Let me know what questions you have. If you have more questions about anything that I'm offering, craniosacral therapy, somatic processing, how I got into it, my training, how it works, let me know. I'm happy to do a podcast in the future on any one of those topics that you have questions about. I hope you enjoyed my story and sharing how I got into cranial sacral therapy. If you liked this podcast, please consider sharing. If you enjoy my podcast, it really does help me out if you write a review or and follow me. I also share on Instagram whenever I release a podcast. I share on Substack. All of that can be found in the show notes below. And I will see you next time.